Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Thursday night edition of the pod. We're recording this during the day. We'll have more later that we're going to record after the San Antonio Denver game tonight. So stay tuned for our wrap up of that one. But we got to talk about what's going to happen in these East series. Get on record with predictions. Danny, how does our little competition stand at the moment? You are ahead as of now. The only series we differed on in terms of the winner, you got right with Portland. I got incorrect with Oklahoma City. I've gotten closer in terms of number of games so the margin isn't as big but yeah that's yeah and and i think there might be some flaws with the scoring system i hadn't really thought about the inequity of getting a series right getting a series right and the other person getting it wrong and just not getting points but but i would say you're ahead right now but maybe not by as much as some would think and we'll we'll calibrate it i mean for me this is it was just an idea for i didn't like go through tests on previous playoffs or anything like that but yeah i would say you're doing slightly better as of now yeah well my downfall is i just find it so satisfying to to pick a sweep just like ah, oh, this is a bullshit series like they they have no chance i'm picking a sweep like and what i mean you're probably in any matchup it's foolish to pick a sweep but i just like when i pick a sweep and it ends up being right it's just like so satisfying yeah it it, it really is but i don't think we're going to be picking any sweeps in in this round i suppose not uh so let's talk about raptors sixers then both teams handled their first round series pretty well joel Embiid, you imagine it'll be the same day-to-day day you imagine it'll be the 28 to 30 minutes a a game i think that's going to be my assumption coming in here uh i'm also concerned about his ability to hit the three-pointer especially when his knees are bothering him i think that's going to be so key against this raptors team because stretching out marcus soul to the perimeter is really going to help if he can just camp in the lane and help that's going to be if they don't really have any kind of pick and pop type of thing available that's really going to help them and then their toronto's defense is just so rangy and so intelligent and so fast and so long that Embiid not being able to space out when he doesn't have the ball I see that being a pretty big problem and I think they're going to just let him fire away I don't like him putting the ball on the floor from up top against this team with guys who can really dig down and recover off their man so I I'm uh color me skeptical that the Sixers are gonna be able to score that well on the Raptors in this series that is especially true now and I mean this is why Masai Ujiri traded for Marcus Hull was really the idea that they would play the Sixers and ended up having the ancillary benefit of Gasol just swallowing up Vooch in the last round but Embiid more dynamic a greater physical talent also a much better defender though that's not really the part of the theory and well there could be there could be some elements there just because of if, if Marcus is shooting that set shot three or just operating in the high post maybe it takes away some of the help defense but something that is really important to me about this series is how the Sixers try to defend Kawhi Leonard. Leonard has been awesome in these playoffs, really his worst game. Like he wasn't great in game one, but then also game three when he was dealing with the flu. Other than that, he just crushed the magic and they had some guys that you thought could give him some trouble. I mean, we saw Aaron, I thought Aaron Gordon did a solid job in game one. Kawhi was still efficient and then over that he just kept on getting to his spots and they can try to throw Jimmy Butler out there. Maybe that this series will activate him a little bit more, but I just, I, I don't think he has the, the heft and the length to really to to get into Kawhi as much as as some other guys Ben Simmons will be interesting and that'll be a big test for him as a one-on-one defender I like Simmons more in kind of like help capacities all that kind of stuff and Tobias Harris I don't think he has I don't think he has the tools to to really handle that and also getting in getting into that question of we've talked about it sometimes the other way but who does JJ Redick guard in this series Danny Green yeah I think that's probably the way you do it that's what it's gonna be I think but but yeah I mean that's uh, they could certainly run some small small pick and rolls to involve Redick I I do think Redick is 
a sore that they could go after green is experienced running that play he can pick and pop with Kawhi in particular I just expect at the end of the game we'll see a, a lot of that play that's what Toronto has done at the at the end of a lot of close games normally and Redick to me provides a, a particularly good place to attack Joel Embiid's stats in two games against the Grizzlies this year 15 points on four of 13 in 38 minutes Sixers won at home because the Grizzlies couldn't score and then the other game at Memphis they lost in overtime 14 points on four of 15 0 for six on threes for Embiid five of six assist turnovers so that's nine of 28 shooting with admittedly 18 free throw attempts in two games against uh, Marcus Alt. now I, I'm not going to tell you I went back and watched film of those games I happened to watch one of them my recollection was that Gasol was really good on him and that's a that's what other people have said as well and you would think when Embiid gets it in the post they'll probably give Gasol at least a crack at guarding him one-on-one I would also say that Embiid I've criticized his desire to want to face up and do all these skill moves but I think that's actually his best opportunity against Gasol I don't think he's going to be able to quite overpower him Gasol is just so good at avoiding getting back down I mean that's that's going to be a key thing to watch in this series is you know what is the distance Embiid is able to get on his back down if he gets it 15 feet from the goal is he going to be able to back down into good range or is Gasol because he's got just this great timing that like right when the guy tries to bump into him he'll give him like a quick shove and not prevent him or not allow him to back down further I'm going to be watching that very closely the other thing of course is what happens with Ben Simmons in the half court Simmons number one it's going to be a major problem with the spacing if they've got either Siakam or Leonard on him those guys are really really good at helping and recovering getting their hands on balls in particular we saw that a lot of Philly's drives in the regular season they would try to make dump off passes and those passes would get deflected very active hands for the Raptors the passing windows are just smaller against this team and they're pretty small for Philly anyway because their spacing is pretty truncated I was thinking this morning about how Toronto's defense is just such a devastating matchup for Philly you brought up a lot of good points about the Embiid Gasol thing but also such long smart active defenders and then Philadelphia has a lot of guys off ball that you aren't as freaked out about and so yeah you want to make sure that Tobias Harris and JJ Redick are covered and and, and they can do that but if Joel Embiid has the ball in his hands if it's Siakam or Kawhi or whoever else is on Ben Simmons that guy's going to be making Embiid's life even harder if they have to and they might not even have to the Sixers have to get going in transition in this series and I think Toronto is a very hard team to run against because Gasol is always going to be out top just about they're not going to try and post him up against Embiid in this series maybe if the Sixers do a little bit of switching which we actually might see more of than than expected you know especially late in games they have gone to that you remember Joel's block of Kyrie Irving at the end of that Celtics game in the regular season for example I actually think Joel could do an okay job if he gets switched on a Kawhi at times you don't want a steady diet of that necessarily that's why I would expect to see more of the small small pick and roll for the Raptors in crucial moments but I digress there since Gasol is usually at the top of the key it's very easy for him to get back he's either doing the DHOs or he's spacing out to three in their offense and Zach Lowe noted that he only shot 5.6 shots per game against the Magic in the first round I think we might see that go up a little bit because of the spacing but anyway he's going to get back on defense the number one key to transition defense is getting your bigs back to protect the rim especially against a more traditional running type of team like Philly you know as opposed to Golden State where you know they're running for three pointers more often and can space you out other than you know Simmons will try to do that DHO in transition when whoever his man is is backed off but I wouldn't expect Toronto to quite give him as much space to work with as some other teams have because I think they have the athletes to just guard him normally and they don't want to give up that DHO for a jumper to either Harris or Reddick um I also think that Jimmy Butler is going to find far less room in this series he only had that one big game against the Nets at 36 pointer in game one but they did run a lot of pick and roll with him on the second unit more than Brett Braun generally likes to but it, it worked pretty well because they have such a great matchup the Nets are one of the worst pick and roll ball handling defense teams but Toronto is going to be able to switch a lot of stuff they've got guys who can compete and get over the screen and and when Butler doesn't have a massive physical advantage at his position which he often has especially in the regular season it's really hard for him to generate offense you talked about the benefits or the the potential strengths of Toronto's transition defense this season per cleaning the glass Philadelphia held opponents to these they they had the kind of the sixth weakest 
so highest proportion of opponent possessions in the half court so like they opponents were running a lot on the Sixers and remember that one of the kind of key forces in Toronto in transition is Pascal Siakam functionally speaking at least in transition you can't really cross match with him because if you cross match with him and he takes off somebody's gonna have to get him and I think that could end up being a problem for the Sixers in the series is kind of like transition discipline when when Siakam gets loose yeah I mean he can get into the lane get that spin move if he's got a smaller guy on him now the good news for Philly is they only have one smaller guy you know who's just going to get physically dominated by Siakam but if the center then has to help out on Siakam on that then they got Gasol available for the trail three you mentioned also Philly not getting back I think a lot of that is Embiid he'll fall down a lot he'll complain for calls and now he's not really in in very good shape which is another problem so watching him if he's behind the play a lot I think they could run into trouble and Toronto especially at home I think they are going to try and run a little bit more another big issue in the series and once again applause to Elton Brand that we're even saying this but Mike Scott is such a critical piece for them and it looks like he is in danger of missing the first game he's got a heel issue plantar fasciitis Brett Brown said he is preparing as if Scott will not be available who knows Philly is uh not exactly the most transparent when it comes to injuries but we could see them back in the situation as they were in game one of that Brooklyn series where all of a sudden now you have to play TJ McConnell again and before James Ennis was available and and it certainly could be extended a little bit more but they need the spacing that Scott brings as well uh you know we'll see whether Boban's gonna be viable in the series with Serge Ibaka and Gasol I'm guessing that he will not be Toronto always has uh five shooters on the floor basically so I I don't Boban's probably gonna be minimized in the series he just can't get out to the three-point line so Scott is a small ball center would have been really important if he can't go that's a another big problem takes away from lineups that Philly could go to that switch everything now Jonah Bolden may have to play more and he has the athletic talent but proved that he's very very prone to defensive mistakes in the few competitive minutes that he played if they got to go with TJ then you can't really play him with Simmons if they do that's going to be total death to their spacing so in the starters versus starters minutes I think Philly can match up pretty well it's if they go to the bench especially without Scott that you could see problems um well and and remember that Philly because of how bad their bench is they have to stagger their starters and so they aren't going to get to give those lineups some serious minutes I do want to have the stats because I pulled them on that five-man lineup that's really the thesis behind what Elton Brand did this year obviously not how they started the season so in the regular season the combination of Reddick Simmons Butler Harris and Embiid played 161 minutes together in 10 games they outscored opponents by 18.4 per 100 in the playoffs they've played 20 they played 49 minutes together in four games because Embiid missed the one plus 66 net rating a lot of that was just the annihilation in game five but that yeah. was still an annihilation like you know that, yeah. that's 37 there. to 2 in game five we had that step before but I thought it was so it was so ridiculous yeah and I, I think that's the best argument for for Philadelphia is that they can that we just don't have enough what that that lineup just could be too good for them to handle and one name that we haven't talked about at all yet and I think might end up being a significant factor in this series is Fred Van Vliet Van Vliet offensively you know I, I I'm I'm a little bit hit or miss with him but Van Vliet's effort defensively could be a huge part of mitigating JJ Redick and something that we saw in particular last season in the playoffs was that when a team can take Redick out of the possession by possession impact that it really does stagnate Philly's offense. Butler and Tobias Harris do change those dynamics somewhat, but I think that's still an important piece, and I think Van Vliet could do a really good job there. And if you can get those kind of minutes from a from somebody who doesn't start for you, then that makes it even harder for Reddick because they have plenty of guys who can do an, to do a solid enough job in the ha- in the starting five as well. And what you mentioned with Van Vliet offensively, that is, I think, one potential danger point for the Raptors in this series is when they go with the bench unit. I mean, they got beat up by Orlando's bench unit and that's not a great bench uh, it's usually Siakam and four bench guys Jody Meek played a little bit they were not good when he would play during competitive portions of the game they really only have eight guys beyond that you know Norman Powell is certainly someone who's up and down as well and I think they just don't have enough when it's Van Vliet and Siakam it's really your only two creators and when you're getting worked by the magic bench it's a problem because Philly likes to start that second quarter with all five of their starters on the floor that was I thought a really nice job by Philly just whether that's the coaching staff analytics whatever of getting that unit out 
out there and just completely destroying the nets at the start of the second and fourth quarter as well as at the start of the first and third and so maybe just getting those minutes out there philly feels like if they can win those by a ton you're really forcing the raptors onto their heels making them play from behind most of the game most of the quarter uh so that'll be something to watch as well but if Embiid can't play that many minutes if you don't have mike scott then you got to spread and beat a little bit thinner those become questions as well and so maybe what it'll be is kyle lowry will play more with those groups um we talked about guarding reddick too you know i think lowry will probably get the initial assignment on him you know danny green would probably do a slightly better job than lowry but then the question becomes where do you put lowry the raptors do like to invite teams to post up lowry like that hasn't really worked that well especially with players who aren't that good but you know if it's jimmy butler or tobias harris maybe those guys can attack lowry lowry also prone to foul trouble as many charges as he draws he also can pick up a lot of fouls and that's a major concern as well um anything else on this are you ready for a prediction i think that's enough i was torn in this between raptors and five and six I think that Philly's best case scenario in terms of their starting five, those guys really killing it, they've done so well when they play together, that should not be discounted. That They could just put some together some lineups, especially if they can take advantage at the beginning of the second and fourth quarters. But I ended up going back to five because of Joel Embiid's health and because this Sixers team is, is just so thin that they can't, not only is that is that an issue with injuries as they're dealing with right now with Mike Scott, but also they don't have as many things to try if something doesn't work. And so my thought on this series is that Toronto is going to going to take some advantages early on, especially if Embiid is limited. And then when the, when Brett Brown tries to counterpunch, they just won't really have enough there. And so I could imagine this being a six game series where Toronto wins some of their some of their wins very handily. And so like a more of a lopsided six game series. But instead, I'm going to go with five. I'm going to go with five also, although certainly the Raptors game one history it gives me a little pause. I, I, I As I said, I think this is a totally different Toronto team now Lowry is really the only guy left over from some of those teams that really struggled I guess Ibaka as well but you know certainly Green Gasol Leonard give him a a totally different look at this point so I'm gonna go with Toronto five and I think Philly could make it six I think if Philly had better depth if Embiid were healthy if they and, and a lot of this too it's not even necessarily saying that the Raptors talent is like that much better than Philly in the starting lineup it's the fit and it's the depth those are the two things that that I, I would look at the most. And I also think that Kawhi Leonard is the best player in this series by significant. Let's turn to Boston and Milwaukee. News today, Malcolm Brogdon will not play in the first two games. They have gotten great play out of George Hill and Sterling Brown so far. I think where we need to start, though, is what are the Boston Celtics going to do against Giannis? Pray. I mean, that that's a, that's an important place to start. I mean, I, I mean Al, Al Horford is uh, yeah. a pretty good offering to the defense gods. He is, and... And I'm very... I'm very interested in what personnel Boston has out there on the floor because remember part of what makes this Milwaukee team so much tougher to defend than last year's version is that they're not playing Giannis with another guy who's standing around in the paint and so I'm sure there will be a temptation at moments to say oh my god they're playing Giannis and Brook Lopez to do the Baines Horford thing but the problem is Baines is going to be at a different part of the floor so yeah I think Horford I'm I'm very interested I think one-on-one he can do a good job but what I was thinking about more is just like when it's not Horford, whether that's when he sits or foul trouble or whatever else, the options get a little bit tougher. The key to me is going to be how much Baines is going to play with Horford in this series. They've been starting Horford and Baines together. Baines sprained his ankle early in that series against the Pacers, didn't look as effective after that. He still was able to gut through it, but you imagine it, at least for a couple of games, had it been the regular season, he wouldn't necessarily have been playing. So if they do go with Baines in the starting lineup are you going to put him on Brooke Lopez is that kind of wastes his defensive impact you would think he actually had some reasonable success last year guarding Giannis but you know I think and Giannis isn't the absolute shiftiest guy you know without having a great jump shot someone like Baines can just kind of lay back and wait for him and try to pick up charges try to get his chest on him and force him into a miss but 
the spacing is so much different and, and worth remembering too last year no Kyrie Boston probably had a better defensive group out there especially with Smart returning in game five of that series a year ago he all indications are that he's not going to play in this series with that torn oblique certainly not early on in the series so when the Bucks went with Giannis at center last year or when they went with Thon Maker and Giannis and remember we were going completely apeshit when they would do anything other than those two units at, towards the end of the series Boston really struggled to stop these guys even with all the defensive talent that they had on the floor so I'm not sure how well Boston is going to be able to stop them you can also see the Bucks going to plenty of small small pick and rolls involving Irving as well I mean even someone like a Jalen Brown just doesn't have the size for Giannis we haven't seen too many of those just straight up like ISO attack type of plays you can also see the Bucks trying to get Chris Middleton matched up against Irving in small small pick and rolls in the post early and I mean you said it the Bucks always have shooting and spacing on the floor um obviously how well they shoot the three is going to be huge you know I mean if they're just missing open threes that's certainly a way that Boston can win games in this series Uh, but it seems like the strategy for most of these teams has been all right you know we're gonna let Giannis get his and we're not gonna give up three pointers and we'll see whether that works you know if they're giving up 45 point games to Giannis I'm not sure that they're going to be able to score well enough against this team on the other end to really make that payoff. The most extreme strength, and this is truly remarkable, of Milwaukee's defense this year has been their dominance at the rim. They gave up not only the fewest proportion of opponent shots at the rim, 30.3, when the next closest was the Warriors gave up 31.6% of opponent shots at the rim. So that's a huge margin. Then 15th in the league was 36.8. So that's six and a half percent away from the middle of the league not only that but the lowest percent the lowest success rate 57.5 percent field goal rate which is pretty ridiculous and then you combine that with that they did so without fouling lowest free throw opponent free throw attempt rate in the entire nba those strengths are still going to be there i don't think that's going to change too much for the bucks what is a dissipated advantage for them is that boston just doesn't attack that way they're not taking away something that is critical to boston's identity Kyrie irving is not really driving to the rim to get fouled or to to make a shot he's more pulling up creating separation and attacking earlier and boston so boston's attack is not going to be affected by that success as much as other teams they're looking for other other ways to score yeah and, and that first game of the season where the celtics i think hit 24 three-pointers out of 55 against the bucks is my recollection that's the blueprint to win games in this series and we noted how the bucks scheme not only do they lay guys back at the rim but they also send a lot of help from the nail on drives from the side that can open up the wing three-pointer they don't give up as many from the corners but the celtics can definitely get hot now over the course of a seven game series i don't know that i believe in this team shooting quite enough the fact that Marcus Smart is not there may help them offensively to have more shooters on the floor. But other than Kyrie, they don't really have that one guy. Now, Al Horford, he can get a pick and pop absolutely whenever he wants in this series. And he, you'll remember, destroyed the Bucks a year ago with that. He was also able to get in the post. He even posted up Giannis really well last year. Now, I think this year's Bucks team will send more help in that situation. So I do think Boston is going to be able to get open three-pointers in this series. And so much of it is going to be a question of whether they can knock those down the other ways i think that they're going to score is they have Kyrie irving has a pretty good advantage like they don't really have someone that you look at in an iso who i think oh this guy can stop Kyrie irving from getting to his spot and if i'm both with the pick and pop that's going to get horford open and then if they want to just not set a screen you know, i don't think george hill i don't think middleton has the the speed Connaughton, you know maybe brogdon would have been the, their best guy on him now bledsoe is another one is he going to be able to be attentive enough on Irving? Are they going to just leave him be there? You know, that that's going to be a really interesting. I do think that the Celtics would also be wise to run small, small pick and rolls to get Bledsoe off of him. And because anyone else, I'm really confident about his ability to attack them. So I think, I think Boston is going to have a chance to score really well. It's going to be dependent on hitting shots. But as you mentioned, structurally, they match up pretty well. And then the other thing too, I think, is that Jason Tatum, if Boston wants to milk that in, 
if he's hot he's another guy who could have a big series against this Bucks team they don't really have anyone to guard him that well either again Middleton to me is a little bit too slow and unathletic to hang with the best wing guys one-on-one agreed and and that weakness of the Bucks defense is interesting against Milwaukee or sorry against Boston because of the the nature of their attack and so maybe Tatum could get loose for a couple of big games something that surprised me a little bit I hadn't realized that Boston had the second lowest make three-point make rate from the corners 34 percent on corner threes this year as opposed to 37.6 percent above the break yeah well Kyrie Irving never shoots corner threes that's true <laughs> that's that's I think that's the reason for that he and he shoots a ton above the break you're never going to have Kyrie in the corner Tatum is a good corner three-point shooter but yeah you don't look at anyone else as really being someone Horford is really in the corner either so I mean those are probably their two best shooters is Kyrie and Horford and Tatum will be there on occasion but yeah there's a, a lot of guys miss that but the Bucks defense doesn't give up that many corner threes it's more right. about above the break and especially to popping big men um well and, and that ties in you you brought up the game early in the season we did it for the NBA cast and what I loved so much about Boston's approach Brad Stevens made a pretty significant halftime adjustment and what they did is they started driving for the weak side help and attack And so what that meant was they were using Milwaukee's default approach against them. And generally speaking, you know, oh, you're you're driving, you're trying to create a shot at the basket or whatever, so that the help, you can be a little bit more automatic. And they knew that as soon as that guy left to go help, that his cover was going to be wide open. Usually that was, you know, an at the break or slightly above the break three. And those sorts of wrinkles are going to be extremely important for Boston to generate shots. Milwaukee has some things that they can go to to adjust, but this is going to be a a massive series for both Brad Stevens and Mike Budenholzer in terms of not only where you start but where you finish tactically a few other random things I'll be looking at very closely how is Giannis officiated Baines in particular loves to step in and try and draw charges are they going to give Baines that call or is Giannis going to get to the foul line if Giannis gets in foul trouble that really changes a couple of these games Brad Stevens versus Mike Budenholzer I think Brad Stevens until proven otherwise has the advantage as an in-series tactician against Bud and things like foul trouble managing foul trouble you know Stevens doesn't take guys out really when they get into foul trouble Budenholzer you know maybe he does with Giannis uh, it, although as the Bucks being the favorite you're you generally be a little more concerned or, or a little more conservative with foul trouble you know when I'm really critical of when they take guys out foul trouble it's like you're already down 10 in the first quarter and then you take a guy out in foul trouble and it's like the game's gonna be over by the time he gets back in um are we going to see any switching from the Bucks are we going to see any Giannis at center that will be very interesting the switching the Giannis at center lineups that they have gone to this year have been very effective but that's not really the default of the way they played that also takes one of their best players Brooke Lopez off the floor and if you do go to that alignment I mean, is that going to leave Miritich out there you know he's not that great at switching if he gets caught on say Kyrie uh, does that then put you with DJ Wilson out there he's probably not ready for prime time uh, on either end to me in a playoff series from an execution standpoint so is that Middleton at the four now then now you're awfully small that's uh, potentially a, a concern as well uh are we gonna see Ilyasova and Miritich together and eh, it might work against some of the Boston backup units as long as Kyrie isn't on the floor because again they're not gonna try and drive to the basket you don't need like unbelievable rim protection against this Boston team but units without either Lopez or Giannis on the floor that that could struggle a little bit we'll see so I, I think to me so much of this is about how how the Bucs are going to play and how they're going to respond. If they're playing at the top level, to me, Boston can't compete with them. If they're missing threes, if guys get in foul trouble, if they're making bad strategic decisions and bad lineups, if they're not able to adjust to some of the stuff that Boston does, like, you know, a pick and pop with Horford, that kind of thing, then all of a sudden this becomes a competitive series. When we talked about this series before the playoffs began, I picked this as Bucks in seven. I'm going to call it Bucks in six now because... I think Milwaukee has looked awesome, granted, against a Detroit team that was drawing dead. And while Boston was lucky enough to sweep, I just was not that impressed with them. I guess we haven't mentioned the name Gordon Hayward yet either. You know, maybe we could talk a, a little bit about him. I'm I'm buying that he can be an effective player at this point. This, oh, he's back thing, not buying that because he had 16% usage in the first round. <laughs> he's, he, he's still not being trusted to really be the engine of the offense. He's kind of finding some spots and hitting shots and maybe driving when there's opportunity 
plays but like you know you're not throwing him the ball and letting him really attack it and you know he's someone who i think could be really good in this series um so uh, but uh, you know not someone who i think is like gonna be boston's second best player or, or anything like that so let's he's made some strides he looks a lot better but let's slow down on the gordon hayward is back to where he was in utah talk this is also a meaningful jumping competition from the uh, pace, yeah from a pacers team that just was figuring a lot of it out that didn't really that you know they had some defensive pieces but just offensively was had some struggles their depth was a little bit weird and something we haven't talked about partially because it's not a strength rigidly offensively for either team it but will be important is rebounding and i'm there are going to be misses there are going to be loose balls in this series and i mean so both were in the bottom 10 in offensive rebounding boston was close to bottom five milwaukee was in the bottom five offensive rebounding that's what happens when your center is spacing out to infinity like you get into you're not capitalizing on it as much but it will there will be those opportunities will boston have a few of the they've had in previous series i remember against cleveland this happened a couple times where they just give up a dagger offensive rebound you know a situation they got the stop didn't do it and milwaukee has bigger guys closer to the rim most often but i I feel like that's going to swing a game or two in this series yeah that'll be interesting i mean boston is not a good offensive rebounding team milwaukee is a great defensive rebounding team i wouldn't expect that to be a factor on the other end but yeah i think boston with horford at center i mean and and you imagine it's going to be him at center and Kyrie at point and then that opening night starting lineup brown tatum and hayward down the end of games and for big swaths of this series i mean it wouldn't surprise me if they've gotten to starting that unit if they don't start that way i think they frankly probably should just start that way and let baines operate more as just a a backup center so in that case i mean is it gonna be jalen brown guarding Giannis and horford will be on lopez probably not they'll probably go with horford on Giannis, and then you've got a big mismatch with lopez either able to shoot over the top of whoever's closing on him or are we gonna see lopez get in the post we're gonna see a little bit more bucks pick and roll as well to try and get Giannis a, a better matchup i mean i think lopez could completely destroy anyone other than horford and baines on this team in the post uh, another thing too is if boston has to play daniel tice i think in those minutes they are really gonna be in big trouble tice to me just is too skinny doesn't have the same athleticism as last year after that knee surgery he's like a stopgap at best um so that's another guy who i think could really get taken advantage of in this series i mean this is just this series is gonna be just like that philly toronto series just an absolute crucible like just if you are not a really good high level player you are not gonna be able to stay on the floor in this series and i love when the playoffs get to this level and you just separate the men from the boys like it's gonna be awesome it will also be exceedingly important that the coaches pull the ones that are not ready once that is apparent Ilyasova to me is another one of those guys who i think it could be a major issue in this series just because he's just too slow a foot i could imagine that being a big problem and and it's also why i thought getting miritich was so important because now they have somebody else that they can go to if Ilyasova is an option and not something we've seen a ton from the bucks overall but miritich and Giannis together at the four and the five would be a blast yeah you know who else i think could make a big difference in the series is uh pau gasol that was that was a great pickup huge huge pickup Uh, oh so you've made your pick i have not made mine all right right part of i'm trying to remember was when was marcus smart hurt was the, did he get injured before we made our predictions for the whole playoffs no was, he, he we knew he was gonna be out for probably the first for, rounds for a while yeah so yeah. i think maybe maybe it's just then for me that i i've understood how significant his absence is going to be for the celtics teams more more than i did before and while it pains me that now for two consecutive rounds you and i have picked the same winner in the same number of games on the east we have not done the same at all in the west other than the warrior series which we both got wrong um that's right i'm gonna channel my inner brandon jennings and say bucks and six would you say it's more likely to be bucks and five or bucks and seven if uh if we are not correct and it's bucks i'll say bucks and seven i mean there are there are ways absolutely that boston can can get good shots maybe they can defend better than i anticipate and close games in the series are going to be fascinating i mean so this year overall milwaukee you know they they weren't in that you know they played 138 minutes in in close action that 138 was 
the sixth smallest amount of crunch time this entire season. They actually had a worse, so they were plus 1.6 in those circumstances. And you're dealing with a small sample size. There's a lot of noise and everything like that. Boston, 23 and 19 plus 10.9 net rating. A lot of that was these comebacks where they like either got all the way back or anything else. But if this series, you know, if these games are four point games with two minutes to go, a lot of it's relying on whether things are called or not called. Like I'm going to be at the edge of my seat. Yeah, you might argue that Boston Boston has the advantage. Giannis, for all of his brilliance, does have a specific weakness. You can kind of double to get it out of his hands. Kyrie, it's really hard to stop him if he's making shots down the end and he has been a a great clutch player. Certainly things can devolve into the Kyrie show at the end and he's going to have, I think, a pretty good defender on him in Bledsoe. I'm very interested to see whether Kyrie can just score on Bledsoe in an ISO. I'm not sure that he's going to be able to do that. So then maybe it's small, small pick and rolls, but that gives you a chance to get it out of Kyrie's hands and Kyrie uh, I think will make the right play in that situation but we know everything down the end is going to be initiated with him Brad Stevens his ATOs his timeout usage like all that stuff is probably close to the best in the NBA on paper this series should be a five gamer I think you know just looking at what these teams were during the regular season but I still can't quite get past the fact that Boston has seemed like they can be more than the sum of their parts and maybe that's just based on last year when they just kept pulling games out of their hats including in that first round buck series and i'm a little scarred from picking against them two series in a row and having them prove me wrong with some great play at the end and now you throw Kyrie into the mix too and it does seem like this is a team that despite their real massive on paper advantages can just kind of find a way and has guys who elevate their game and all that crap but that's that's why i'm making it six instead of five really i mean well, i mean just respect for some of the stuff that that boston has done and maybe there's a little bit more of a playoff ingenue feel to this Bucks. Team. Something I want to add in there: the Bucks were incredible when Giannis was on the floor. One sixteen offensive rating, plus twelve point five net rating, using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter. Boston without Kyrie, you know, pretty much you know even plus plus zero point four overall. But when Kyrie was on the floor, one fifteen offensive rating, plus seven net rating overall this season. And we expect, hopefully, he's going to be able to play a lot of minutes in this series. He can be a big advantage. So I. I'm excited to see how that works out and whether, because I've, I've been of the belief for a long time that the really good Celtics team we thought was coming this year is still in there somewhere. And it's been so aggravating to not have it exist as, as regularly, considering they haven't been, you know, totally sidetracked by injuries or, or it's been kind of other weird malaise type of stuff. So I I think they have a chance of putting together. I'm not as like you picking it in six that that means I'm, I'm acknowledging the, the serious possibility that Boston wins, but not saying it's a likely so we'll see all right picking this up live in studio danny larue after we did the nba cast for denver and san antonio san antonio is going to take it we don't know the final score quite yet because we're actually doing it while the game is still in progress but it's an 18 point san antonio lead with five minutes left and presumably malone is going to take it easy here try and get ready for a game seven which we'll be doing the nba cast for as well on saturday night looking forward to that it's good i think we're having at least one game seven for Ron, right yeah I, i'm excited about that hopefully we'll get more in round two might even get more in round one i think the place to start with this was well marcus aldridge having a really nice game and doing so in a in a somewhat different way Jokic had defended aldridge well on post-ups you know more traditional back to the basket and so aldridge's adjustment was just facing up more yeah, I thought that that worked. He was able to just, for whatever reason, create a little bit more space against Jokic, also against Millsap, who had the matchup against him for a while as well. And it really was just a devastating mid-range performance from the Spurs that got them to this point. During the competitive portion of the game, 58% from the field, 10 of 22 from downtown. They got That's a lot of three-pointers for them. And as we know, despite the last two games, they hit those at a nice rate. And through through three quarters, they were shooting 14 to 21 for mid-range. DeRozan is 10 out of 14. Aldridge, 10 out of 18. And it's not like they're getting a ton of shots at, at the rim or even a ton of free throws. They kept DeRozan off the line again in these playoffs. So the offense for San Antonio came alive through the competitive portion of the game. 142 offensive rating Damn. for San Antonio. And again, I mean, this isn't like they're going absolutely crazy from the foul line. 
Well, and they're only sixty-eight percent like, true shooting. I yeah, mean, I mean that's, that's just that's just ridiculous. And sixty-eight percent true shooting, and you're not turning the ball over ever. I mean, San Antonio six turnovers. Denver only had five, so it's yeah. not like oh, that they really gained on the possession margin there. But also, San Antonio they didn't get to the line a ton. They only it was seventeen times, but that was still seven more than Denver because in the competitive portion of the game, Denver was eight of ten from the line. Jokic got there four times. The star of the game, Mason Plumley, got there four times, and then Gary Harris too. So that means Millsap zero free throws, Jamal Murray zero free throws, a lot of other guys as well. Yeah, and that it was only a two point game going into the fourth quarter, and then a complete evisceration. They started at fifteen to two, quickly pushed the lead to twenty, and we were done as Denver went with just about an all bench unit. It was Barton, Beasley, Morris, Plumley, and they had Craig out there for a time. Then they went back to Millsap. Plumley was also really rough in the first half as well. Somehow he was only negative six. Uh, but during that fateful stretch to start the fourth, they really got hurt. And and even at the end of the third as well, they gave up two turnovers and just were lucky that the Spurs missed a layup and a three-pointer. But I thought Denver's defense actually, you know, it wasn't as tight as in games four and five because I thought, you know, DeRozan and Aldridge on their mid-rangers were getting a little more space and a little better looks. But I mean, the shot distribution wasn't bad. You know, the Spurs just went crazy and Aldridge and DeRozan are guys who are capable of doing that and this was their one game where they went completely crazy and but Denver was right in it until that started the fourth quarter and then they were giving up threes they were turning it over missing layups against good contests at the rim and that was a real problem so yeah and that lineup I mean basically the weakest players that Denver actually has in the rotation they got completely outplayed I thought Jakob Pertl did well in those minutes and remember this was LaMarcus Aldridge wasn't out there at all either it was just that San Antonio had better players out there and also they had guys that got loose like Bellinelli got a couple of threes during that period of time Patty Mills I don't I don't think he scored much but he created with an assist he had that beautiful kind of wraparound pass to Jakob Pertl for a finish and another important part of this game a lot of it didn't happen in the fourth quarter but Rudy Gay went three for three all on corner threes all of which seemed like at least partially botched coverages one where I think it was Gary Harris closed out harder to DeRozan above the break and then that left Rudy Gay open for three that was his first one and Rudy Gay had struggled in a lot of the series 17 points in 27 minutes plus 10 in this one yeah and that three of three from downtown to me that was a, a key matchup. Gay had really struggled going against Millsap, and Pop did some things to get him easier matchups. It was a lot more pick and roll, pick and pop, and they're able to get a lot more switches, get matchups that they wanted. They went with Pirtle, Aldridge, and Gay together, playing Gay at the three. And that enabled him to get a matchup on Craig, which I think he was more comfortable with, or even someone like Barton or Beasley. So Gay able to have a much better game. A lot of these guys, they come home. Forbes was good as well tonight with 12 points on 5 of 8. And really, the only nugget in the end who played well was Nikola Jokic, who I don't know why he's still in the game, but he's up to 43 points on 19 of 30 from the field and 9 assists, 3 steals, and a block. Um, yeah, I think he had 33 in the first three quarters, and then he was basically, he didn't come back in until functionally the competitive portion of the game was over just because of that 15-2 to two run. Yeah, I mean, there, I think he came back in when they were down by like a, oh no, he didn't come right back in. No, because there, was, there wasn't a stoppage. He was at the table, but then San Antonio just kept on pushing it up for a little bit longer. But yeah, I thought Jokic was, he was the focal point offensively, did a really nice job, had a few huge tippins. I mean, he had six offensive rebounds in this game. Yeah, many off his own misses. Many off his own misses, nine assists, and yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's a crazy thing when you're basically the team is down 15, 18 points. You have a game seven coming up in a few days, going to be playing at altitude. That's not the time to push your guys to see if you can come back. Like with all his yeah. Mike Malone's conservatism, well, well, and, and if other you're going to push him, maybe push him when you know at, at the start of the fourth quarter, you got to get a, a timeout, and then he comes back with the same unit again. After that, it is like. And, okay, Jokic needed some rest, right? He he comes out. He would have been on, you know, 42, 43 minutes if you brought him right back in at that point. But there's no reason they couldn't have come back with Murray and Harris for Beasley and Barton at that point. Now, I mean, the way the Spurs shot the ball 
perhaps there was no beating them on this night and you know DeRozan 12 out of 16 I mean I, I guarantee you he's not shooting 75 percent uh next game so I mean I mean I do think to me Denver has looked like the superior team even in this game you know it did fall apart for them at the end they they made a lot of mistakes uh the bench unit wasn't good but it was uh really Denver controlling the run of play I thought through three quarters they out executed San Antonio and San Antonio's shot making was just a little better and obviously shot making it's an important part of basketball but not in a sustainable way to me for this Spurs team even if you could argue they were due for a game like this after some of their shooting struggles earlier in the series in broad strokes there were parts of this game that felt a lot like game four where San Antonio went out to an early lead and Denver chipped away got better defensively just did a little bit of better job also improved their scoring and then when it's a one-point margin going into the going into the fourth quarter no it was four because DeRozan got that really weird kind of so he got fouled they reversed it called it a non-shooting foul or they didn't give him the end one but then he gets somehow with 0.8 left in the end of the quarter oh oh, there's no somehow to it jamal Jamal murray Murray just didn't get in there missed missed the box out he just went for the rebound when your job is to actually just stand in front of the guy at the free throw line you come in from the three-point line um and so then that that allowed DeRozan. so he makes the first free throw gets the rebound tips it and and puts it back in so that pushes the margin all the way up to four when it had been one before the san antonio got the ball back with like five or six or whatever it was yeah and certainly i mean there are a lot of mental errors from denver and you know they're a young team they can be prone to those sorts of things it, it, it certainly wasn't the the offense that was the problem though even for denver I mean, 115 offensive rating should be good enough to win but they just got completely lit up and once you get not only once you get this deep in a series but specifically in a game seven variance matters you know sometimes a team's going to have a hot game sometimes they're going to have a cold streak and Denver after being molten from three you know 50 percent or over for the last couple games six of 23 by a variety of guys Will Barton was one for seven from the field zero for four from three but Denver starters I mean they're starting guards three for eight combined from Murray and Harris I would like to see more attempts and and more makes from that group Jokic was their leading three-point taker and tied for maker and you know if they're conceding him if Pirtle's not getting all the way out then that's something different but a lot of times these were you know they they weren't they were getting more of those floaters I mean they had what 24 floaters in the first half yeah I mean and the Spurs their strategy is always going to be to barricade the rim so it's going to be tough to and Denver is a good floater shooting team and again you know it wasn't the offense that was the problem I mean just to have 115 offensive rating even when you shoot 6 of 23 from downtown you know that's a good offensive night like what they're doing offensively is working um adjustments for game seven try to minimize the amount of minutes that they have three or more of their best players off the floor for denver i think that's a really important part you know just those those lower no chance units I mean, you got to have a quicker hook on Barton. Got to have a quicker hook uh, on Beasley to me. Um, I think you're, uh, I might just not play Plumlee at all. I think just go with Millsap at center off the bench. Well, and it's a game seven. So those guys, you need to be ready to step up their minutes to these, to the kind of comical levels, because if you don't, you're, you're out. That's the whole point. Yeah, Spurs managed foul trouble in this game as well. Oh, yeah, that was a huge again. swing point in the second yeah. quarter. I mean, I thought San, San Antonio, like, I thought, oh, San Antonio is going to lose the lead more like game four. But then what happened was in rapid succession, Derek White, Jakob Pertl each get their third foul. They leave the game. And then San Antonio, it was a reminder that th- how little defensive talent they have. I mean, DeRozan was getting absolutely torched yeah. anytime he went or didn't go through a screen. And they just, they didn't have help at the rim. They were small on the perimeter and they were, Denver was just getting all the looks they wanted and actually could have pushed the lead out further during that stretch, missed some shots, and and that that might have really swung this game too if they had, let's say, pushed that to like a six or an eight-point lead as opposed to a four-point deficit. Yeah, I thought they had the opportunity to do that at that time. And so, and because you can't play DeRozan at the two, because if you play him at the two, he's got to guard Harris or Murray, and they run off of so many screens. The first screen he hits, he's just going to die, and you're going to give up either a wide open jumper at the foul line, the big has to step up, which they really don't want to do. And part of how they avoid giving up shots at the rim is they leave the big back and they trust Mills, Forbes, White in particular to fight their way over those screens and rear view can test enough that the guy has to go in and shoot a floater and if he gets all the way out on the floor now you're vulnerable to hitting the roll man Jokic as well so 
that's uh DeRozan particularly against a team like this it really it's very difficult to play him at the two um so I, I think like the matchups are just really critical and I, and I think Malone Popovich I don't know if I would go into this game especially a game seven when you can just play guys I think you go into this with hey we're not gonna stick to our quote-unquote regular rotation here we're gonna try and play our five starters as many minutes as we can and you know maybe not as much the case for San Antonio but certainly for Denver and you need to try when you steal rest for guys you got to make sure you don't get stuck in a bad matchup right so if it's gay you want to try to find a way to have Millsap guard him he's been the the guy who really causes problems for gay you definitely don't want say Barton on gay right like so you got to have gay playing the four when Barton is out there if gay's playing the three you may need to go back to a bigger lineup so you I think you just need to maintain that flexibility in a winner take all game you know three four minutes with the wrong matchup it could look really bad so uh you know I also think if you're gonna play Plumley, play him when Mills is not in the game for whatever reason Patty Mills you know he's looked like Australia Patty Mills with Plumley out there and so you know Plumley gets out on the floor for whatever reason and Mills either makes the right pass they set up a corner three or or Mills just traffic cones him out there Plumley is so jumpy you know have him play a little more con- conservative style and, and you know with Forbes or White out there guys who aren't going to just kill you and pick and roll which apparently Patty Mills is capable of doing against Plumley. so there's a lot of these certain lineups certain players where you're just like ah you know that's really like oh we got a six game sample size here of this guy getting worked in this specific matchup and we just gotta really try to avoid it like we don't have to live with this this is game stuff it is and so one of the adjustments that i really liked from popovich in this game and i would expect to see again in game seven is when denver kind of went with some of those smaller lineups san antonio went big and that is what helped rudy gay get loose from two he ended up making those threes later on but he got loose from two and then was was in a rhythm and then started making the shots when they present themselves yeah and when they're going with craig at the four Plumley at the five if Plumley's getting out on the floor and pick and roll defense now you're vulnerable on the offensive glass as well we saw aldridge get a tip in in that situation during the the decisive run they need to do more to attack Bellinelli defensively he was plus 18 tonight and you know if he's going to be guarding a Will Barton for example I think they really need to to look at attacking that matchup in pick and roll but yeah I mean this is going to be awesome game seven I'm really looking forward to it I think it could go either way I would favor Denver to be sure I think they've been the better team they are at home but you know young team pressure of a game seven first game seven for a lot of these guys same thing for San Antonio too for a lot of these guys but they obviously have a, a a coach who's been there many many times before so uh this will be an awesome one and i mean especially when you look at the opportunity that's in front of these teams too they're not waiting to get steamrolled in the next series by a juggernaut i think portland you know looked good in the first round but i wouldn't say that like portland is just gonna steamroll either of these teams by any means you might even favor denver in that series yeah i'm really looking forward to it and extremely excited that we're going to do the nba cast for it Anything to talk about before we go? I had one of my uh, off-season previews came out today that was on the Utah Jazz. Really challenging off-season for them in terms of identity. You know, like whether they want to go in a different direction around Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, bring back the same cast of characters. And doing so now, I talked about this a little bit in the piece, but I also inferred it at moments. It is going to come with a multi-year commitment other than, well, I guess they could just keep Derek Favors, but with Rubio and all that. And so what does Dennis Lindsay want to do? What options are available to them? I think, and, and because Mitchell is so in, intriguing, it really does matter. Like, this is a team that has stakes, and when you have stakes, you have to make the right decisions. And then, presumably, as teams get eliminated over the weekend, those offseason previews will come out as well. All right, we'll talk to you on Sunday night. We'll have a, a wrap-up of the two games. I mean, yeah, I guess we'll have four games to talk about on Sunday. Five games to Five. talk about. I mean, I guess if you're uh, looking at Clippers, Golden State as well, if that's a blowout, we probably won't spend as much time on it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a really Really awesome weekend of game ones. I hope you'll join us to talk about it on Sunday night. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 